0: Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the Fail to Fail Podcast with your host, Don Abernathy.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of the Fail to Fail Podcast. I really need an intro for this podcast. Every time I go on to it, I uh, almost want to copy my What's Discovered Podcast tagline, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but this is our little motivational podcast here on the Digital 410 Network. Before we get started, as always, let me thank you guys, the OG5, your continued support for all of our content, whether it's via podcast or on our YouTube channel. If you have not checked it out yet, look for Digital 410 on YouTube. Uh, we're constantly working on new video and more content. And as you know, go to d-410.com or failtofail.com, click on the Patreon link, and if you could please sign up for a Patreon, uh, it's a dollar a month, or $3.50 a month, or if you have long arms and deep pockets... You're a high roller, you want to show off a little bit, sign up for the $7.50 a month plan, and after two months, I will send you a free t-shirt of your choice. And as always, this episode of the Fail to Fail podcast is brought to you by our friends at At Computers. At Computers has been providing IT service to all of Southwest Florida since 2004. And right now through the, um, I don't know, it's extended to March. Why not? I can do that. I have the power right now up until March. If you call at computers at 283 1120, say the word podcast, and they will help preserve your peace of mind by backing up your data at seven cents a gig per month for the entire year of 2020. That is seven cents a gig per month for the entire year of 2020. Give them a call 239 283 1120, or reach out to them on Facebook or Twitter. Simply say the word podcast and they will get hooked up with you. And one last thing, while you're at d-forte.com or failtofail.com, click on that Amazon link, save it in your toolbar, your desktop, wherever you need to save it that you know where it's at. And whenever you uh, decide to do a little online shopping, please click on that link, and they will uh, send a couple of coins to us every few months, and that'll help support the show. On this episode of the Patreon-exclusive podcast, What's in Your Head? Do you know the length
0: of the average podcast, as in how many episodes? before they give up
1: bill and i were talking about that and i think the average podcast fails around episode 10 what i've uh, heard
0: recently is actually less than that episode seven so it's not even a magic number seven it's like a doomed number seven
1: actually no it wasn't bill and i when i was on that podcast of the gentleman uh, that was called what makes you famous with uh key dan he's a he used to be a dj down in key west and now he's like in kansas or something We were talking about that, and he kind of took it like I was slamming other people's podcasts, and it wasn't that. I was trying to talk to him about, um, you know, everybody thinks it's easy to do podcasts, which, yes, it's easy to do a podcast. But my whole point was it's hard to do consistent podcasts every week and have new original content. And I was trying to use an example. I know personally three people who have started podcasts and they quit around episode three to gain access to the what's in your head podcast, as well as all the other exclusive Patreon content, simply go to D 410com Click on the Patreon link and subscribe. But right now joining us via the phones from my hometown of Grove city, Ohio, unless you move to Columbus, we'll find out here momentarily as a gentleman. I've known (laughs) for a long time, but as we were just saying, we haven't said a single word to each other in a audible format in over 23 years. We've talked online. We've communicated digitally and through memes, but this is the first time we've heard one another's voice in person since 1997, Gary Bone. Gary, how are you, my friend? Fantastic, Don. Nice to uh, be talking again, and uh appreciate you having me on the podcast. Appreciate you coming on. First and foremost, how freaking cold is it in Columbus right now?
0: Not too bad, yeah, considering. I mean, relatively with what you guys have down there, I'm sure it's, uh, you know... Well, I got to tell you, is, you know what, you know, it's been getting down to the <laughs>
1: mid fifties in the morning. I've been having to put on a coat on my way to work.
0: <laughs> well, I, I definitely feel the cold uh, a lot more now than I would have about a, a little over a year ago. But yeah, I, uh, it's it's not too bad. It's in the I think the uh, low forties. So,
1: so let's before we get into the main reason why we're having you on the show, let's build a little foundation for the people who don't know you, and uh, let's get them caught up. When and where were you born? And give us a little, um, a little synopsis on your childhood, if you will.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, born right here in the capital city, Columbus, Ohio, uh, back in the year 1980. Um, uh, I had, uh, an older father and a younger mother. My father, uh, served in World War II in Korea. Uh, he was in the 101st Airborne, dropped into D Day three days after. Uh, he then served in the Korean War years later. Obviously, um, I I was uh, conceived when he was 52 years old, so uh, he was rather young when he jumped into into France. I lied about his age to get in the military. Um, mother was quite young; she was 22. Uh, they were together a few years, uh, divorced, uh, and uh, I was with her and her. Uh, next husband for a while. Uh unfortunately they were uh, she married a uh, an abusive gentleman. Um, he was abusive towards her unfortunately and also towards me. Uh then I went to live with my father, uh back with my father starting back in eighty four and he and I uh had a very close relationship. Uh he's also former Columbus Police Department uh undercover narcotics. Uh, so he and I had a pretty good childhood, did, did a lot of things together, uh, always talked about the military, his uh, experience in the police force, uh, things like that. He unfortunately passed away when I was 14, uh, that was 1994. Um, once he passed away, I went to live with a foster family of sorts, uh, the Arthurs, I'm pretty sure you know them, uh. Was with them for four years until I graduated, and then I've been on my own ever since.
1: Now, how did that so, come to play? Were they friends of the family? Were they a licensed foster family? How did you <clears throat> did they do uh, per, yeah. non per
0: yeah? it was uh, it was Tom Tom Arthur, uh, the son of theirs. Uh, we were we were best friends at the time, and uh, we hung out a lot. He actually was there the night my dad died. He was staying the night at my house and, uh, when, uh, everything went down, they took my dad to the hospital and such. His mom came and, uh, I went to stay with them after he had passed. And, uh, basically there was, the option was for me to either move to Florida to be with my aunt and uncle or older or, uh, that was it essentially because my half brother who lived here, he unfortunately has cerebral palsy and is unable to, Take care of anybody legally. So they saw they can't kind of stepped in and was like, well, we don't want him to be away from, you know, everybody up here in school would be very awkward and hard for him. And, you know, I, I don't know what my situation is with an uncle at the time because I was just so young. I wasn't in those conversations and whatnot. Sure. So they kind of stepped in, became my legal guardians and, uh, you know, took care of me for those so four years of high school. So.
1: Well, for those of you listening who don't know, um, let's say you're in a similar situation, whether you're a teacher or somebody at church, a neighbor, a relative, and you have somebody close to you in your life, whether it's you know your friend's friend, what have you, and something happens to them that they're a minor and they end up in a situation where their uh, legal guardians are no longer either alive or capable to take care of them. There is a thing, at least here in Florida, it's called a uh, non-relative custodian. And, um, you can actually essentially go to the city or the state, you file out the paperwork and you give them the, uh, the situation, if you will. And then obviously they're going to do a background check on you, make sure you're not an axe murderer and uh, check out your house and all that. And you can become the legal guardian of someone you are not uh, related to, um, so that you can help them out in a tough situation. That's actually how I don't want to say we acquired, but that's how we came to have, um, a daughter ourselves. My fiance is a school teacher, and um, fourth grade, and one of her students um, had bounced around from foster home to foster home. And long story short, we became uh, non-relative custodians. And then, like a year and a half later, well, during that process, we also went through the foster care system and became certified, uh, registered foster parents. Now, I don't claim that because I'm not. Um, I don't. I'm not brave enough, if you will, to open my doors and just. Become a you know a regular, you know foster parent. Those guys, they're great, and it's you know it's an it's amazing what they do. But in order to adopt Nugget, we did in fact become you know licensed foster parents, and we went through the the whole thing and the classes and all the stuff, and so. It, uh, it takes a lot uh, but the people who do it are fantastic and there's so many uh, kids out there who need help whether it's you know through a big brother big sister program, through you know just being a mentor, fostering to you know adoption whatever. obviously you know it's a big commitment to go out and be a foster parent and adopt but you know just like I said the, the big brother big sister program just helping kids out a few weekends a month you know that's a huge help to people in that situation.
0: Oh, most certainly, and uh, I commend you and your fiance uh, for stepping up and helping out as well because, again, I was in the same situation. and I knew what kind of uh, – how hard it would have been, and had someone not been there, I don't know how my life would have uh, – how how it would have played out. So congrats to you guys for stepping up as well. So, yeah, there's a very important people out there to step up and take care of kids who really need it, whether it be through Big Brothers Big Sisters or through – foster care or custodial guardianship
1: and and you know i'm not a big uh, component of handing out slaps on the backs to states and governments but i you know we see hear so many horror stories or you see all these movies about how horrible foster systems are and obviously you know it's it's rough and rugged but as far as florida's concerned at least their their effort or their intent to take care of their foster kids and you know the kids who go through the system even now that uh, we've adopted Nugget, the state of Florida will still pay for her college, whether she gets a scholarship or not. They still provide, take care of all her medical needs. They still take care of all the, um, you know, any if she has to go see some psychiatrist, they they cover all that bill. So even though she's no longer a ward of the state and the, technically not their problem, quote unquote, they still commit. They still say, hey, you know, even though you you found placement, and you found a family, we're still going to pay for your college. We're still going to help with your medical bills and all that stuff. And uh, even if you don't get adopted, you know, once you get to 18, it's not like the horror stories we here, where oh, you're on your own. They allow you to go on your own, or they help you find housing and then job plan. And once again, as long as your grades are there, they'll pay for your college and help you find housing while you go to college. And so, Florida, for all the bad things you hear about, they at least put on, you know, put up the effort to try to help take care of the kids who who go through that system.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. I wish that was. Something like that in Ohio because I was always hung out to dry when I was eighteen. So yeah, that that's absolutely amazing that uh, that uh, they have those kind of opportunities down there.
1: Yeah, they say sadly, statistic wise, a lot of the kids who are eighteen um, whose parents are still amongst us who were taken care of their taken away from their parents due to bad life choices. Sadly, a lot of them when they get to eighteen, they just go back home, and so the cycle mm-hmm. tends to repeat. But there is a you know a, a percentage that you know, who realize, Hey, I don't want to go down that road. I got these opportunities and who go out and go to college. And a lot of them actually turn around and do social work. And because they were there that they end up doing, you know, going to college and getting all those degrees and going back to be social workers so they can help other kids in their same situation.
0: Yeah, it's always great to pay it for whenever you can, whatever situation you're you're in. So that's awesome. That's really awesome here.
1: And so you go to Grove city high school with me
0: and, yep. uh, we <laughs> graduate high school
1: and all that fun stuff. And then that's when I moved to California and um, went down my path. Which way did your uh, – how did your uh, career path go? I know you're greatly – you're you're definitely a computer guy like myself. You're definitely a video game nerd like me. Um, we all grew up oh. with the Nintendos, the Atari 2600s, the Super Nintendos, the PlayStation 1 through 4,
0: Xbox, oh, yeah. et
1: cetera. Um, w- which way did your career path take you?
0: <clears throat> well, initially I was going to go into Navy. Um, yes, because now, I, now I you said that I had a
1: flashback to you. You were a member of the ROTC.
0: That is correct. I was in JROTC. I was a company drill instructor, company uh, drill team commander. Um, so we did all the fancy rifle spinning and and also this boring, quote unquote, boring regulation drill, which I actually happen to love even more.
1: Well, let <laughs> so, me ask you this:
0: uh, um, back then, what?
1: How was how was that? My, my brother did it, and I. And I never meant to think, never thought to ask him about it. How did other people treat you guys when you're and you know, the people who weren't enrolled in, when you guys had to, you know, there's like two days a week, you had to show up in full uniform. What was the rest of the population of the school's treatment of that towards you guys?
0: It was kind of, it's kind of 50, 50. I mean, I would say, I mean, kids are cruel. I mean, let's just be honest. Sure. Uh, they're dicks. You know, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's just how it is. I mean, it's just, generation generation someone will be really really cool make fun of you rots your ranger making up lyrics and songs and what have you uh other ones would be like oh wow that's cool they'd ask you about your uniform asking you about the ribbons uh ask you about the trips that we go on uh, ask about drill team uh things like that uh, i think as i went on to high school my first two years was, it was kind of rough that way but my second two years on junior and senior year uh, the leadership of ROTC kind of changed, and our, our image was kind of changed too. We started to grow more, and uh, because we were more competitive, we were bringing home trophies. And they were seeing that we were just a bunch of schlubs in uniforms getting to go on trips. Now, uh, so they saw that.
1: In your were drill, watching. were you guys using the uh, the replica M1 Garands, or what rifles were you guys using?
0: Uh, we used both. We used the 1903 Springfield. Nice. And uh, yeah, then we used uh, as we got through the uh, years and got more money and more uh, money from the uh, CNET, uh, Chief of Naval Education and Training. Uh, they gave us some money. We were able to get some grams in there and uh, got those painted up. We painted them white, but they were I think 14 pounds with the. You know, That's the what the I was going to ask you. Barrels.
1: I actually have an M1 <laughs> Garin from my World War II stuff and. I was going to ask you if you how many people were pristine drillers who had to kind of step back, and say, "Oh shit, I got to get used to the the weight change." I mean, that's a huge. That's, that's like somebody who grew up and became a um, pristine bowler, bowling with a like seven pound ball, and then right. one day someone handed him, like a fifteen pound ball. Say, "Okay, roll those same strikes." There's going to be a little bit of a learning curve.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it, it was. There definitely was not everyone did exhibition drill. Exhibition drills where we do the rifle spins and throws and whatnot. Um, uh, so you'd have some of the smaller people, the less uh, strong, and, and, and you know some of the smaller guys and smaller girls would do that um, just because it was just easier for them, so they could still participate. Because both sides of the drill were quite important. IDR is what we call it, um, and then you had your exhibition drill, which is the fancy stuff. Uh, that definitely was uh, dangerous. I I took a few hits to the head with a grand <laughs> when someone wasn't paying attention. So I took one right to the forehead, blacked out for a couple of seconds around the ground, uh, got back up, you know, cuts and breezes and whatnot, doing, you know, pork spins and Marine Corps wrist breakers and things like that, uh, fancier moves and whatnot. But I think most people were pretty capable. We didn't do anything too crazy. Uh, to where we're hucking rifles, you know, 10 or, 10 or 15 yards across the drill deck or anything like that. But we hold our own. We, uh, my senior year, we actually went to the National High School Drill Team Championships in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, placed within the top 15 of all high schools. Nice. So, pretty nice for our first, uh, our first foray into the Nationals. So, um, my drill instructor, who's now over at a competing high school, Central Crossing, uh His name is Sergeant major Bocook. he uh He's the one that really taught us to tighten our drill and he was really a real inspiration to me as far as leadership and you know leading a good life uh and you know again tighten our drill up and making us just even that much more sharp uh their team just went they won first place to, uh won first place two years ago at the national so
1: now I've um, never had any official drill training, but one of the things I was trying to get down. If you watch the mm-hmm. old Marine Corps drill videos from uh, World War II, when they present arms and they have them mm-hmm. uh, charge the handle, and then they do the real quick thing where they put their thumb in and then charge it back and it slaps forward real quick, all without getting in one grand thumb, that yeah. is some uh, skill. The reason I ask about the ROTC and the and the reason I ask about how the kids who weren't involved treated you, mm-hmm. we have a local high school here, which is I've never heard very many of them do this their ROTC program is actually required for every student the freshman year. Hmm, Interesting. And so when you go to graduation or any sort of school um, outing or or association, there will always be members of the ROTC there for uh, color guard and all that stuff. And since everybody, the freshman year is required to go through it, you don't have the ridicule and the the comments and the songs and the, the making fun of the uniforms by the other classmates because they've already gone through it. It's kind of almost like, you know, you know, everybody's been through it, so it, there's nothing to make fun of or ridicule people about. That's, And I haven't heard very many high schools doing that. I think it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, that would be great for many high schools if uh, the funding was there because I know a lot of these programs are getting defunded. Uh, some of them are even, you know, they're losing the funding or losing the programs altogether. So it's uh, it would be great if they offered that to more schools and, or more schools offered it to their kids as a requirement because – I mean, it, it just makes your, it makes your life more structured. You understand, uh, life, I think, better with the, the eyes of the military, you understand what the military goes through. And it might give you a career path. And sure. you know, maybe you didn't think about the military at one point or another, but you go through the ROTC training and you think, hey, this is for me. I could go here. I can learn this skill, maybe come back out to the civilian world and do well for myself. Or I can just make it a career. Yeah.
1: Now, you are saying post-graduation, this is how we got on the topic of being involved in the ROTC, that you were uh, pondering and considering uh, going into the Navy.
0: That's correct. Um, I actually took the ASDAB. Uh, lost a bunch of weight, actually. I was uh, heavy in high school, as you know. I uh, When I graduated, I was, I was about 285. And what uh, height are you? Uh, what's that?
1: And what's your height?
0: Uh, six, I was six one then, six one, six two-ish. So, uh, definitely overweight, not too, too bad at that, at that weight and that height, but still not, not, uh, ready for military life at that point. So I did, uh, did a lot of running, uh, exercise, whatnot, and I got down to 225. Nice. Which I was, I was ready. I was lean re- and ready at that, at that size, and uh, took my back. Uh, I think I scored like a sixty two or something like that. Fifty five, I can't remember exactly. It was in that range. And uh at the same time I unfortunately <clears throat> not well, later of the end, unfortunately, I met a I met a woman and uh and it, it changed my mind. Like, Some I people say because, that like, there's a I don't only love woman <laughs> to blame. <but laughs> <I know>. Right. <laughs> You know, of course I could have said no and just said, Hey, I'm going to go, this is my career. But, you know, I guess the thought of military service wasn't as strong as I had thought. Uh, again, I'm kind of a sappy guy when it comes to love and all that stuff. And romantics sure. and whatnot.
1: <laughs> Young love, man. Uh, most powerful uh, substance known the man. Unfortunately, no <laughs> Ernest. It's not eggs erroneous. It's uh, the women. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. That's exactly right. <laughs> See that we
1: not only talked about ROTC, but we made a reference to Ernest goes to camp, all in a single motivational podcast for old oh. people such as us. Great movie. <laughs> and, and so you know, you, you reevaluated. You looked at your situation. You had you had a, a a female that you fancied. Uh, bestest gal, and so you decided to uh, change direction. Where did that lead you? How that? How did that end up for you?
0: Well, uh, I was working retail. Worked at Circuit City, which for all you kids out there was a cool retail store that used to exist, uh, <laughs> but uh, it does no longer exist. It's kind of like Best Buy. It was a big competitor to Best Buy. Um, not only We're did personal. I close
1: a sun TV, but I opened and closed the comp USA and I opened an HH Greg H. and closed an HH Greg. H. So I've
0: been, <laughs> I've been down all those roads. Yeah. I closed a sun TV on the West side over here. So I did that before I went to circuit city actually. Um, so I did circuit for a while. Uh, my girlfriend's mom, uh, at the time, the girlfriend, same girlfriend took me from the Navy essentially. Uh, uh she was working for a company called safe flight autograph i'm sure you know them safe flight
1: repair safe flight replace there's the plug for you
0: (laughs) so hey better than the plug saturday
1: night live gave them
0: that's right oh my gosh that was interesting
1: now is safe Um, life is they looking back on it now were they are they a columbus company is that where they started
0: Uh, I don't believe so. I think they started, I mean, I should know I've worked for them for over 20 years, but uh, the history of the the company has not really been on my mind per se. Uh, I believe they started somewhere in the South and moved up here Uh, gotcha. as far as their corporate headquarters goes, but their corporate headquarters have been here in Columbus at least since the late nineties.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I asked because. You know, it, it was never really on my radar, but as it started popping up and I was in California places, I started having flashbacks. So I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember people working there in the '90s in Columbus," and I was like, "Is that where they're from?" So, I was just trying to put a fine
0: point on that. No, no, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they started somewhere else. Uh, if my history scares me correctly, but I, I'm not too interested in that. I just get sure. to make the chat. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, I started Safe Light back in 2000. I was in uh, I was doing some billing and invoicing work at the corporate office, and then uh, a couple of years later, I I jumped into IT support. So um, I was doing IT support from about 2005 until about six months ago
1: so you started out uh, doing uh, windows 98 conversions to windows 2000 and trying to get people on xp or holding on to their windows 98
0: try from mainframe to windows <laughs> <laughs> so that's what i worked on when i first started say, if i was a mainframe computer then i actually once i got into the the help desk when it was called that uh, did, uh windows conversions so yeah that was a big time <laughs>
1: Well, and the problem, because I've been doing IT work since 2004, is one of the biggest downsides to that is, uh, one, it's an ass job, and two, uh, repetitive stress syndrome on the hands.
0: Oh, yeah. and uh, There's no doubt about that.
1: And those were the two things, um, you know, I was playing, I was doing computers all day and typing all day, and then like in 04, 05, I'd go home, especially on the weekends, and I would just sit on my Xbox and grind out uh, Modern Warfare 2, and this, that, and the other thing. And it would get to the point where I could barely open my hands because I was holding a controller all day or typing on a keyboard all day, and I really started suffering from uh, arthritis in my hands. Ooh. Not to mention gaining 40 pounds, I think I was, 40 or 50 pounds.
0: Yeah, both those things are, aren't going to do well for you. Yeah, uh, I mean, you yeah, uh, have arthritis and your carpal tunnel. I have carpal tunnel in both my hands, so... Uh, I totally understand the repetitive stress of, uh, computer work and gaming. <laughs> so, it's uh, not fun. I've done some exercises, uh, hopefully to kind of push back my carpal tunnel. I really don't want that surgery. Um, yeah. I've heard bad and good things about it. So, uh, doing the exercises seem to be doing well. I take breaks and rest and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, definitely that, a danger of the job. I mean, it may seem, uh, Insignificant to some people but it's 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 no fun to live with
1: now i remember vaguely a few years back um i don't know if you started to build an online presence or you or on blogs or whatever but one day did you or did you not you were brought in for like a two or three minute segment on tmz weren't you i was <laughs> what was the story yeah, behind I, that how do you end up on tmz without being in one without living in la and two without being a celebrity and or a uh, paparazzi
0: I have no idea. I think I was tweeting about something one day randomly. Cause I'm definitely, I don't, I don't have a huge Twitter following. I've maybe got like 150, uh, followers on Twitter, which is, you know, piss and stuff, you know, in the great scheme of things. I was, I think I, I responded to a story of those and they must have liked my point. I don't even recall the, the story. I don't even remember what it was. And they're like, hey, they, they dm me and they're like, hey, would you like to be on our live show? I'm like, I'm not doing anything right now. Sure, why not? <laughs> you know? So I, I was on there. I really can't even recall what the story was. Um, I, I Thinking back, I mean, it's obviously not that big of a deal for me because it just sure. I, I can't think of it. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's the big story behind that. I tweet, <laughs> tweet at the right time and the right place got me on DMT.
1: <laughs> well, the reason we have you on the podcast tonight is because um, I don't want to say you went incognito because the weird thing about the – Instagram, the Facebooks and the Twitter and all that because so many people follow so many people and you have so many friends lists that if those platforms were to show you literally the post of every single person you follow and or like, it would take you two days to stream through one day's worth of news feed. And so the way the algorithms work is um, if you don't have a communication or you haven't viewed any or liked or made a comment on someone's post in a while, they'll just stop showing you their post. And, right. um, uh, and so I didn't really see any posts or anything going on. And you probably, I don't know if you even posted or you brought it up. And then one day I just see these, you posted a photo almost out of nowhere, where you basically achieved great success in uh, weight loss. How did that yeah. come about? What was the, um, you know, you, you said earlier, senior year, you're six, one, you graduated around two eighty. What, uh, what was your, um, max weight and what was the turning point and how did you drop i guess the set the the uh momentum of this no pun intended how much weight have you <laughs> lost how much weight have you lost up to this point
0: uh close to 170 pounds
1: so you're you know 30 ish pounds away from losing 200 pounds which Correct. is huge um,
0: hopefully i'll never lose that 30 pounds because i don't know what i look like yeah. <laughs> at that point but uh uh yeah i mean i i've been heavy most of my life um through high school, ridiculed as a kid. I mean, we used to go to the, the ground round restaurant. I'm not sure if you ended it, mm-hmm. Um And you get on the scale and th- the parents would pay you weight. And of course, my dad was always paying over a dollar for, <laughs> for my meal when all the other kids were 75 cents, 60 cents, and so on and so forth. Um, But it got really bad after... Uh, the breakup with the young lady I spoke with earlier sure. um, threw me into huge depression. Uh, I was suicidal. Uh, a lot of mental illness came from that. I had some mental illness before that. Well, uh, I mean, you you reading. went
1: through a lot as a child. I mean, you know, the issue yeah. with your parents, the the fostering, the growing up with someone else's family. I mean, and I'm as mentioned before, I'm going through it now. And, Regardless of how great the new family is, that doesn't um, alleviate all the anxiety, stress, and memories that come along with what happened with the family you're previously with. And so that's without proper therapy. I mean, that can really affect somebody.
0: Yeah, it really can. And um, I mean, I don't ever advocate. I'm a expert. At this. I, I have not gone through therapy yet. Uh, While well, I, I'm contemplating it now. Um, there's some some things going on so uh i think some things from my past and just the constant anxiety and depression that's leading me up to meeting it now but uh that's what started my weight gain i think <clears throat> was with my ex she she left me uh how long were you guys together we were only together two and a half years but well, i mean it it's still long longer than a
1: six months you know or you know a three month thing so yeah it's two it was, two years nothing to sneeze to at to be married okay
0: So, I mean, we were engaged. She left me about six months before we were going to be married. Uh, In case you ever hear this, I don't want to go into details about that just because I think there's some conflicting ideas. There always uh, are. Yeah, there always are. I don't want to, you know, with the past, I I moved forward from that. But either way, once she left, it, it devastated me. I literally had a shotgun under my jaw, finger on the trigger, you know, chamber round in the chamber. I was ready to go. And, uh, I the thought there stopped me was my God family, which is not my foster family. Um, uh, they're going to find me and it's going to be devastating for Yeah. no matter who it is, it's going to be devastating for them. So that's what stopped me. I said enough of this. I got on some medication that helped me out. I, you know had a hard time there, but I gained a lot of weight um well that's the side weight, effect
1: with a lot of those antidepressants is weight gain sure. which is ir- uh, irony.
0: Yes. yeah it's it 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 makes the depression even worse once you gained mm-hmm. all the weight so it's uh it's incredible um I got up to four hundred and fifty pounds that's how big i got uh six two four fifty was my biggest as of twenty ten
1: now were you uh, um if you're like me, I haven't been to the doctor in 20 years. I assume you probably weren't going to a general practitioner or all that, but were there signs or evidence of potential of type 2 diabetes or any of the things that come along with
0: severe weight gain? Well, I didn't really have much at that point, believe it or not. Um, I was still fairly healthy per se. Um, I went to Florida, uh, coincidentally, uh, 2010, uh, for a Star Wars convention. Down at the Orange County uh, Convention Center. I was just there for a dog show. Oh, all right. Great. Uh, beautiful convention center. Um, very big. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I was there in August. Florida sun in August is very unforgiving, especially to a 450 pound man. Yeah. Oh, especially and, to a 450
1: pound uh, <laughs> man from Ohio who's not used to it.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, take a shower, walk outside, up, oh, sweating 10 minutes later, time to get taken in their shower.
1: Well, imagine wearing um, your ROTC. Actually, no, imagine wearing a. Uh, Class A wool uniforms <laughs>
0: from World no, War II. I, I, don't, I don't want to imagine it at all. I, uh, so if you go me.
1: on YouTube and go to uh, Military Collectors and watch Episode 1, Season 2, uh, they shot an episode out of a friend of mine's place outside of Orlando. He owns a bunch of Sherman tanks. And we shot an episode, and it was in the middle of August, and I about died that day. It was so darn hot. We're all up there. Luckily, we're wearing our cotton HBTs, but uh, some of the guys had their, the Germans had their wool on, and it was just so damn hot.
0: Oh my God. How many people passed out that day?
1: (laughs) Uh, well, you know, we're very good about, uh, hydration and all that, but it was definitely, um, last time I got heat stroke actually was, uh, last time last summer I was, I was invited to join the Florida fly boys who's another living history group. And they actually had, um, complete authentic from the, from the flight suit up to the uh, wool cap and leather jacket, um, gear Mm. for me to wear. And we, we did a photo shoot with the replica of the uh, Memphis Bell, but I had on the oh, you know good. the wool leather hat, the the jacket, the, the wool jumpsuit, the boots, the whole nine, and I ended up getting heat stroke that day. It was so, so hot. That was like in the middle of July. So definitely uh, mm. Florida in hot heat doesn't uh, bode well, but I couldn't imagine yeah. uh, being 450 pounds and uh, dealing with that when you're not used to it.
0: No, it was a nightmare, and that was a <clears throat> that kind of woke me up uh, when I. Well, got to back, be fair, I, I heard I just, your
1: friends advise you against dressing up as uh, the Wookie, but you know, that's neither- game. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely would have lost about fifty pounds had I done that. So that, that might have been a good idea, but I probably would have passed out. Um, so yeah, we uh, I came back from Florida, kind of jazzed up to lose weight. Um, I did. I ended up losing a hundred pounds on my own. How did you uh, go about doing to, that? Uh, cutting calories back. I mean, to, to maintain a weight of 450 pounds, you're probably, put, I'm probably, probably taking in 5,000 calories a day.
1: Well, the reason I asked that is because people who are desperately looking for a weight loss solution. Like sure. when, when I tell people I'm, I'm down 40 pounds. Um, cause I think at my biggest, I was, you know, I'm six, five now, Kind of on the other side of the spectrum, you know, kids are dicks to both sides. You you got it for being overweight. I got it for being underweight. Um, mm-hmm. I was so skinny as a child. My motibli- mot- my metabolism was so fast that my father took me to the doctor, thinking after my parents got divorced that my mom wasn't feeding me that I was malnourished. Like, no, his metabolism's just to the roof. And mm-hmm. when I graduated, I was 6'5", five, a buck seventy five. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved it's to Cal, very skinny. Yeah, when I moved eat. to California, I actually had girls tell me, I need to go to the gym to put on weight because I look like a fucking heroin addict. I mean, you could literally put your finger and your thumb around my biceps. So I was like a walking skeleton because no matter what I ate, but as I got older and started, you know, my metabolism finally slowed down, like I said, I was 22 at five, a buck 75, and then next thing I knew, I was six five at uh, 249, shopping for a size 38 pant. And getting the double chin and all that stuff, and and what mm-hmm. turned around for me was uh, two uh, two kidney stones. Oh, yeah, and that's when uh, I cut the soda out, and the weight started falling off. Because I'd been going to the gym the whole time, but not, the weight wasn't coming off because my diet sucked. You can go to the gym yeah. all you want, but if you don't get your diet under control, it's not going to help. Yeah, you'll be stronger yeah. and you can physically lift stuff, but your appearance isn't going to change. And so yeah, when, you got to do both. And when you tell people you lost weight, they're hoping you say, oh, I did this, you know, I did uh, Weight Watchers, or I did this, or they're hoping for a quick solution. And it's, I always tell people there's no secret. It's the same thing Jack LaLanne was telling us 65 years ago. Eat less, move more. That's the only secret. Yep.
0: That's the big one. I mean, it really is. That's what I did. I, I, uh, I, I mainly just lowered my diet, uh, you know, my caloric intake. And that's, I mean, at my weight, that's all I, I needed at the time uh i did do some more walking and whatnot you know got up and moved. you know at my weight it was kind of hard to do a lot of moving i was still in a i was still young enough my my legs and my knees and my hips weren't too bad uh my back was okay um but i lost that weight and then the hammer dropped on me uh two years later i woke up in the middle of the night happened to go to the bathroom a bunch of times and i said what the heck is this and I go to the doctor the next day, and that's when I was diagnosed with uh, type 2 diabetes, even though I'd Shit. already lost 100 pounds. Uh, it just was too late. The damage was done. And uh, so my I, I sugar that day was, uh, like, blood glucose for the the, the geeks out there was, uh, you know, 380, uh, which isn't terrible as per se. I've seen much nightmare scenarios, uh, you know, 700s, but... Uh, uh, you know, got medicated, got on that. Um, my diet uh, went down. You know, it, it, I lost a little bit more weight, um, and then I started gaining again. Uh, got back up uh, to four hundred, four ten. That's kind of where I hovered for a few years.
1: Would you say it's and safe to say the reason that your weight yo-yoed is because you were, in fact, quote unquote, dieting?
0: I would say yes, and that, that and I just kind of stopped caring. A bit. I think that's the mental illness part of it. Sure. Uh I mean, the mental illness is still there and was there then. And, uh you know, you get depressed and you eat, you know. Oh, I have type two diabetes. Who cares? Give me that Snickers bar. I'm going to work it down. Yep. You know, I don't care what it does to my blood sugar, you know. And then you get worried and you go back. And, it, yeah, it affects the yo-yo diet. But the, under, the underlying cause of it for me was mental illness. Well, the reason I and, say that
1: uh, is I think at least in – the pop culture conventional term when people hear diet, they sub- maybe not yeah. consciously, maybe subconsciously, diet. To me, the the word diet, at least how it's used, on television wise and when it comes to fitness, is I think it kind of has the subconscious term of temporary associated with it, mm-hmm. and that's why I asked if you think it's because you were quote unquote dieting. Whereas if you want to have long term of uh, results, you, it's a lifestyle, not a diet. Correct. If you go on a diet, it's going to be temporary, and so is your 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 losses or your gains. Either way, you know you could be dieting to put on weight, you know, muscle mass, or whatever. But if you don't maintain that, you're going to lose it. So either way, whether you're trying to put on mass or lose mass, if you're going on a quote unquote diet, that's going to be temporary. Your your results are going to be temporary. Whereas if you want long term results, it's going to have to be a lifestyle change.
0: Exactly. You can't just go on the Atkins diet or the keto or this fat or the other fasting diet or whatever. You really need to figure out what's good for you as a lifestyle change as far as your diet, what you can eat. As long as, it, as you calculate how many calories, it's all about calorie intake. I don't care what anybody says. To get the macros and all that whatnot. It's about calorie intake and movement. Just like we said it earlier about Jack going, you know, you, you're taking less calories and you get more movement and you're going to get results every time scientifically proven
1: well here's what you um, do you go out and get yourself an app whether it's a Fitbit or something else and you start logging exactly. your food every time you eat yep. something you log it and when it gets to the point where you find logging your food becomes tedious you're clearly eating too much
0: <laughs> yep but, i use my fitness pal to this day still that's a, that's a really good one uh has a little scanner in there so you can scan your barcodes make crazy fitbit so. was the
1: same way i moved to garmin when i started uh long distance running actually right before my savage race because my fitbit wasn't waterproof and to be honest with you that's the only thing i miss between the garmin and the fitbit is the uh, fitbit actually had a built-in free don't have to download it trial it came with their software where you same thing you go uh, intake food hit plus hit the bar scanner and if it didn't find it you can submit it or you just search and you know, you can literally log every Starbucks you drank and everything and, you, and it'll tell you how many calories you had left for the day and this and that and the other thing. And, it, and it's a—it's definitely a tool that helps. You know, I was joking about the when it becomes tedious to um, log your food. You're clearly eating too much. But there's some truth behind that because I would find, you know, it's like, oh, man, I forgot to log my lunch or log this. I don't feel like doing that. Well, you know, just by logging it, just by visually seeing the amount of calories – it helps you not want to consume it, especially if you are working out because you're like, okay, I just did this for an hour. I That burnt 523 calories. Now, if I eat this Snickers bar, I just wasted three quarters of an hour.
0: Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, it's all about if, if you really do it well, the way I do it and way some people do it, again, I've, I'll explain my circumstances as we go along, but you get to eating with eating the same things almost every day, mm-hmm. maybe slight variations of them. If you're, I, in my opinion, if you're doing it fairly correctly, let's the occasional, you know, "quote unquote" cheat every once in a while. As long as you take advantage of that, take your responsibility for the cheat, I should say, and you, you know, get your movement in. But yeah, you should. It's logging your food should not be a chore at all. It's yeah. really easy, uh, and especially again, if you're eating the amount that you should be eating. So yeah, I agree.
1: I find, too, that uh, little mind tricks help. Because um, one of the biggest, my biggest things, like, so when I, after I had the kidney stone, I, I cut out soda, well, actually, my biggest thing is I stopped drinking energy drinks. At the time, I was working at the radio station and working on my computer gig, so I was drinking three or f- up to sometimes four times a day, the war- large white Monster Energy, You know, it was zero calories, I was drinking four of those. Sometimes yeah. I'd have two Mountain Dews on top of that, and sometimes up to one or two five-hour energies all in one day. And so I was crashing. Plus all the sodas I was drinking at lunch, dinner, and all that. I think mm-hmm. at my worst time I was, you know, working in service and driving from location to location, you burn through gas, you gotta stop at gas stations, walk inside. Hey, two glazed donuts for a dollar, that's a steal. I'm going grab two of those, Mountain Dew, a pack of Reese cups. And I would do that like twice a day. So no wonder that and sitting, you know, behind a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But what I started doing is I started being honest. For those of you listening right now, Let's be honest with ourselves. When's the last time we went through a fast food restaurant, and that soda tasted like the way the soda is supposed to taste? Never. The soda machines are never. never calibrated. Taco Bell's Mountain Dew does not taste like Mountain Dew, but weirdly they all taste the same. And same with the French fries. The French fries, more often than not, you hear, "All oh, these fries are soggy. These fries not enough salt. They suck." And so what I do, if I'm stuck in a situation where I got to go to fast food, I usually go to Wendy's, get a junior bacon cheeseburger, no mayonnaise, no bun. But I also don't get the fries and the soda because, A, I don't want the caloric intake, but, two, I remind myself, when's the last time I actually enjoyed the soda and the fries from wherever I'm going? And so by playing that little mind trick, it helps you to deter from buying the crap to begin with because chances are you're going to take, drink half the soda and throw it away because it tastes like shit and the fries aren't any good, so you're only going to eat half. So why bother eating the half to begin with and why bother drinking half the soda? Just tell yourself it's going to suck anyhow Get get the, the bare minimum proteins and go about your day.
0: Yep. Waste of money, waste of uh, calories, Mm -hmm.
1: 100%. And so you lost some weight, but you have Mm -hmm. the type 2 diabetes, and then you're like, well, the hell with it. I I put all this effort in, and clearly it's for nothing. Yep. And where did that lead you?
0: Well, it led me into uh, a bad situation starting about a year and a half ago. So my my body stops reacting to the initial medication I was on for my type two diabetes. Ooh.
1: I've never, uh, so. I've rarely, don't think I've actually heard it. Now I know somebody has type A diabetes, which for those of you who aren't aware, type one diabetes is diabetes you're born with. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a bad hand you get, and type two is something you acquire usually through weight gain or other health reasons. But that's the difference between type one and type two. Type two is something that you. you earn for a better lack of term and something that you can <laughs> t- give back through lifestyle changes, not all the time, but most of the times. And type one is something that you, you came out of the womb with. That's the guys you yeah. see shooting up insulin twice a day. Um, a friend of ours, Nick, you know, he's had it his whole life and, and dealing with it. And, you know, as he's gotten older, he's had to have eye surgery and all that and dealing with all the, the things that come along with type one diabetes. And so I can imagine, you know that's got to be deflating. You busted your ass. You, yeah. You're counting your calories. You're not eating the, the candy bars. You're cutting back on your soda. You lost a hundred something pounds, and it's like, well, too bad. You still got the disease that people that's equated with being overweight. So, f you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, what it was, I was defeated, and I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to gain weight, whatever. I mean, I'd have my my points where I be like, okay, I'm going too far. Let's scale it back. You know, I had my I wasn't completely out of it. You know, I still had a head about me, and I would go I'd go ham for about a, a week and then I'd chill back and eat you know well salads and proteins and whatnot, <clears throat> cutting carbs and all that good stuff uh so again, I got to a point about a year and a half ago uh I was taking uh, metformin, which is the generally the first medication they put you on in type two diabetes I was at the at that point I was at the maximum dosage per day uh, I think it was a thousand or fifteen hundred milligrams a day. And, uh, so they had to put me on something else. Uh, my A1C was chilling right around 7 or 8. Uh, normal A1C is 5.5. And, uh, I started feeling bad in other areas. Turns out I found out I had fatty liver disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had an enlarged liver. Um, my back was completely wrecked. Uh, I couldn't walk for more than 15 or 20 minutes without feeling a hot knife stabbing in my lower back. Uh knees are bad, had swelling in my ankles. The hair in my lower part of my legs stopped growing. Wow. Uh, um I had some bad bruising around that area. Uh had a wound on my foot that would just would never heal. Uh bad circulation. Lung, yeah, yeah, bad due to bad circulation thanks to diabetes and neuropathy uh, which is a as a killing of the nerves because of diabetes. It's a side effect of type 2 diabetes. Well, I want to talk Uh, about that
1: here in a second because I would assume that's what leads to people having to have amputation. But you you said a key word uh, about a paragraph back, fatty liver disease. Yeah. Now, for those of you listening who may have never heard that term, I've only became aware of that term through a podcast by a guy named Vinny Tordridge. He helps a lot of people in Hollywood – Lose weight and get in shapes for movies. He does these like ultra marathons where he's running like 500 miles on bike. But anyhow, he was saying the reason that um, a lot of people, especially older people like us, aren't familiar until recently with the phrase fatty liver disease is because back in the 50s, 60s, and even up to the 70s and 80s, the p- only people who suffered fatty liver disease were alcoholics who had cirrhosis of the liver. Those were the because of the enzymes and all the things that their bodies no longer producing. Well, because of the um, the epidemic nowadays with kids, you know, you know the craziest thing down here, Gary, um, look at schools, because of the weather, Not at most. a lot of the schools don't have gymnasiums.
0: Interesting.
1: Now, it's interesting to us because we grew in an area that had cold climate four months out of the year, and they needed a place for us to get physical exercise during the wintertime, so we had gymnasiums. Well, down here, because it's sunny most of the time, they don't have gymnasiums. And so they do have PE classes. They just do it outside in the heat. But even those, you know, it's no look. It's no secret that kids are moving less. And when you have got to have the NFL put out a program called Play 60, where you're trying to convince kids to go out and be physically fit, um, just move for an hour a day. You know, you're clearly like there's that. an issue. And when we were kids, our parents would just lock us outside all day during the summer, and we would ride our bikes or climb trees or whatever, and then come home. But now we got to convince them to. Um, multimillionaire, um, athletes to, Hey, just, just for 60 minutes, get up, and move around. So clearly
0: night down, put the phones down, can't move.
1: Yeah. And so clearly, you know, that's why you're starting to hear the phrase fatty liver disease more and more because, um, my daughter is, you know, one of the things when we adopted her, their doctor said, Hey, you know, you got to help get her, um, weight down because she is on the verge of fatty liver disease and type two diabetes. And here's the hard thing as a parent. When she lived with us for that first summer, she lost like 25 pounds. You know, I bought her a bike. We're going out riding five, seven miles and all that. And we stopped buying the junk food. Uh, we stopped buying potato chips, which I wasn't eating at the time anyhow, but Carrie was still eating potato chips while she's playing Xbox. Just through the diet change, just through what we stopped buying, because um, – Carrie was featured, I think, two episodes back. For those of you, uh, the episode was called Living with Lupus. And we talked about this a little bit. But at the time, you know, she's suffering with lupus, fibromyalgia. She's exhausted. She can't move. So she would go to work and come home and play Xbox and eat, you know, shitty foods all night. And that and the medication she was on, she suffered huge weight gain. Well, when we the Nugget and all that, and they said, hey, she's going to be, you know, potential t- uh, fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes, you've got to get her weight down. Just through diet change, Carrie lost 30 pounds just by us no longer buying the potato chips, the junk food, and all that crap, having it in the house. And um, So diet is definitely a huge thing, and uh,
0: it's exactly. number one key. Small changes. Sometimes it only takes, like you said, knocking out the soda, knocking out the energy drinks, which energy drinks are really bad for your liver, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, energy drinks, chips, snacks like that. I mean, if you make small changes like that alone – that's enough to kickstart you. Yeah. It
1: really is. Good and, news uh, is, you can, if you're a meat eater, just go protein, man. You can still eat your steaks. You can eat your chicken, your pork chops. Just, all, you know, I didn't completely cut my carbs out. I just minimized my carbs. No carbs for breakfast. No carbs for lunch. And then when I came home, it didn't matter if I had spaghetti for dinner because I didn't have carbs through the rest of the day. So I wasn't like withholding huge things and making huge. Oh, I'm never going to have rice again or never have spaghetti well no i can have the rice for dinner and the spaghetti for dinner because i didn't have the french fries and the bread for lunch and breakfast
0: exactly it's all about exactly. moderation moderation and small sacrifices yeah exactly
1: so. and so back to where we were before you know sure. you're, you're going down your your shopping list of ailments acquired through um lifestyle and um mm-hmm. but the the um, infections in the foot and all that—that that really had to be because you're a smart guy. You know what that could lead to.
0: Sure, would and the- uh, necessarily it wasn't an infection in the foot. It was a it was a small wound that was not infected. I will I will say that it just was it would not heal. Yeah, it was always it was always a scar there. And it was from a blister that I got. And I, that did really worry me because, yeah, I am a smart guy. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not adult. So I was always watching and taking care of it, making sure everything was fine with it. So Well, what I meant by worrying
1: bad. is the fact that, you know, okay, you were just told you, you have type 2 diabetes, and now you have right. a circulation in your foot. And the one thing that everybody knows from movies, at least, that there's the potential of amputation due to circulation yeah. problems from diabetes. That's what I yeah, meant you by you're a smart guy. You know what that could have it up to yeah
0: yeah exactly exactly that's uh it, it's definitely frightening uh it definitely is and that's what leads me to the change that I, I was going through uh uh to the point where like i said fatty liver disease my back i could not exercise i literally could not um through the my weight was at a point uh my age it was all kind of compounded um and with the mental illness and everything combined i was stuck in a corner sure so this is kind of a side story that comes back to me uh i have three other friends that were significantly overweight as well um they decided that for them it was a good idea to get weight loss surgery okay Mm -hmm. um they got the weight loss surgery they were about uh almost a year complete by the uh about a year complete uh, at this point in my my life in the story, and I was just like, wow, you guys, you, know, you look great. You guys seem to be doing how, uh, well. they they all the ailments that they had were completely gone or reversed. And and, it, and they said, well, you know, what's going on with you? How are you gonna you gonna What are you doing? And I said, well, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And they said, and I, um, they were like, you should do the surgery. You should get the surgery because you know you say you can't exercise and we love you and we don't want you to die or, you know, to get worse. Now, how long ago was this? This was, um, oh, this was, I'd say August of 2017. Okay. And I had this conversation with them. Well, the so, reason I
1: ask is I don't want to say their names out of respect for the, the one who passed, but there were two twin brothers who went to high school with us and, mm-hmm. uh, both of them fought with weight issues and they never, got it under control and one they were and one of the brothers actually passed away in his sleep at the age of 34 yes and that yeah. was just a huge that was like a holy shit moment
0: yeah i didn't even realize that until i went to his facebook page like yeah six months ago and saw that he was gone and i was like oh man um it's just too late you know and uh and it was uh, it's crazy. I, I, was, I wish he would have. Someone would have had a conversation with him, and or if they did, I wish he would have listened.
1: Um, I wish somebody would have a conversation uh, with his surviving brother because I think he's still in the same position. I don't know if he's that was even enough shock for him to make a lifestyle change yet.
0: I don't. I don't know. I know he's significantly smaller than his brother was when he passed away. Um, I did look him up to see how he was doing. Um, he seems to be pretty small, but he's still definitely, he needs to lose, he needs to lose no weight. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent, I mean, at least another hundred pounds before he's truly out of the woods. in my sure. opinion. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So I, I was very thankful for someone to tell me that there was a, another option out there. And, uh, I want to say their names right now because I love them to death and they, these three women saved my life. Uh, Lauren, uh, Charlie, and Summer. I want to thank you very much for providing the courage and uh, support for me to make the decision to do what I did. And I did, in fact, have weight loss surgery on April 1st, 2019.
1: Which surgery did you Um, go with?
0: I went with the gastric bypass because of all my ailments. Um, uh, Fatty liver, uh, type 2 diabetes, blood pressure, all that stuff, bad back. Um, I was more than qualified to have the surgery and have it paid for through my insurance. Uh amazing doctor through Riverside Medical up here. His name is Dr. Sonstein, Uh another person who saved my life. Amazing surgeon award winning for uh gastric bypass and weight loss surgery uh here in Ohio. Uh probably one of the best and uh amazing program. Um now, I will say for all the naysayers out there, weight loss surgery is not an easy way out.
1: Well, thank you. I was for getting ready that. to interrupt you and say the same thing because uh, my yeah. father started with the sleeve. and Actually, mm-hmm. no, he did the uh, ring first and then the sleeve and then the bypass. And I know where you're going with this, and I'll let you say it, but um, just as somebody who didn't go through it, I, you're basically going to say, and it's the God's honest truth, it's not a solution. It's a tool. Exactly. You can still gain the weight back, but go ahead
0: it is yeah it's definitely not a get out of fat jail free button it's not just you do it and you're done uh there is a huge lifestyle change you need to make i can no longer have bread of any kind no pasta no bread uh no rice um uh, carbonated like beverages I mean, my carbs are lower than i've ever had i mean i take in Maybe fifty a day if I, if I have, if I have a bad day, quote unquote bad day. Um, so it's and the, the amount of pain I went through after I awoke from surgery. Uh, it was a I think a three hour surgery, something like that, two and a half hour, three hour surgery. Was immense. I've never been through that sort of pain in my life. Uh, they basically have to rip through your muscle wall of your body, uh, putting huge pretty big holes to fit the microscopic technology into my insides and uh, basically reroute my, my digestive system and shrink my stomach down to the size of an egg. Um, but uh, after about three weeks, the pain luckily went away uh, and uh, I could start, I went I was on a liquid diet for almost a month, uh, not fun at all, but necessary. And I'm uh, just now, probably the last couple months, last few months, eating kind of fairly normal, like uh, having normal foods and not being sick by certain things anymore, uh, uh You get a syndrome called dumping syndrome if you eat the wrong thing, something that's too fatty, uh, too sugary, or too many carbs. It'll literally raise your body temperature and make you nauseous and want to throw up. Uh, so it's basically a warning system your body gives you now after weight loss surgery saying, nope, you shouldn't be eating that. It's going to be shot out of your body now. Uh, so.
1: And not only that, that, but because they shrink your stomach, the, the physically, the amount of food you can consume before you start vomiting it up on yourself is very, I mean, it's cut down to a quarter of what your serving size was before, if not less than that.
0: Correct. I mean, I can only eat about a cup, cup and a half of food at any given time. Uh, any meal and I have to, it, you have to eat it slowly. You cannot eat fast at all or else you will immediately dump or throw up. Uh, it takes me about a half hour, 40 minutes to eat a meal, of a cup and a, I, I said a cup and a half, uh, which is generally mainly protein. Uh, per, I have to take in about 70 to 80 grams of protein per day. Uh, and the stomach's the size of an egg. So do the math on that. <laughs> I'm literally eating protein all day. Uh, I eat about five times a day. Uh, which is a good idea for anybody, whether you're weight loss surgery or not. I think uh, spreading your meals across five meals, small meals throughout the day, helps your metabolism, uh, helps you give in your, your macros, your protein, things like that as well. And it keeps you from being hungry. So that's what it keeps me from being hungry. I, I, I mean, weight loss surgery also helps me from not being hungry. I still get hunger now. Uh, but it, as I'm kind of squirreling throughout the day, as I call it. I, uh, uh, it keeps my hunger down. So, and liquid's another thing. I have to take in about 60, uh, to 80 ounces of water every day. So again, we cannot drink and eat at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, again, I'm drinking all day long and, uh, I have to plan it out. I got to wait a half hour after I eat so I can drink. Uh, cause if you drink too fast while you've, you've got the food, you one your stomach fills up and two, it flushes the nutrients through your stomach and you don't absorb them properly.
1: Now, have you Uh, noticed uh, since you uh, increased your consumption of good old H2O, uh, a difference in your skin?
0: Oh yeah, I I have. Uh, Elasticity is pretty good. I mean, minus the amounts of loose skin I have from the massive weight loss uh, of my arms and everything. Uh, The the elasticity of my skin looks great. Uh, the, The colors returning. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, it doesn't feel dry all the time either. You know, well, I that's
1: yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Now, ever since Hurricane Irma and sixteen days, de- sixteen days with no power, no water. I, obviously, I started drinking soda again. But I'm down, I'm starting this year, anyhow. The reason I ask is there was about a span of time for about eight months where I was completely off soda, and I was drinking. I was not I wasn't one of those gallon of water day guys, but I was consuming a lot more water. And one thing mm-hmm. I noticed prior to me getting off the soda and all the shit I was drinking before I got to drink a lot of water. Um, that piece of skin between your index finger and your thumb on both hands for years, they were always red and scaly and white and flaky. And when I stopped drinking the soda and started drinking more water, all that went away. It cleared up and I'm looking at my hands right now. And yes, I do drink soda, but, um, due to all my running and working out, I do still consume quite a bit of water. A day, And to this day, um, especially without the energy, I don't know if maybe it's something in energy drinks or whatever, but that white scaliness on my hands that used to be so, it, I don't know, it looked like I was working in concrete all day. That red tent and all that scaliness on my hands have all gone away. And the only thing I can really attribute it to was the increase of consumption of water.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of obviously a lot of sodium in sodas and energy drinks. I think that might be something as well. And you know, as you're drinking water, it helps flush that sodium out of the body. So that that could be it. I'm no scientist, but that, that could very well be it. But yeah, drinking lots of water is always good. Also, for those with a normal stomach, it keeps you full. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it it takes away your hunger. Uh, so drinking water is always good. That's another good piece of advice for those out there. Uh, if you want to try to lose weight, is drink up your water, get rid of the soda, but up your water 100%. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to make you feel full, and it's going to going to keep your body flushed of all the toxins and whatnot.
1: So. One of the things I noticed when I completely swore off the soda for a year is one, soda does not quench your thirst. It's actually the opposite. It it makes you concerned. That's why you always, as soon as you finish a soda, what's the first thing you do?
0: Grab another one.
1: Crack open another one. <laughs> Um, I noticed when I started drinking water, I would drink less water. Or you know what I replaced all my energy drinks with? Now they use the term energy on their can, but they've been around since 1993. The Arizona energy, the the citrus stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I buy one of those tall cans, and because it's not carbonated, that thing will last me four hours. I'll drink it warm. And so when I used to crush a monster or a soda that large two or three an hour, I literally make one of those Arizona energies last three or four hours. And so, yes, there's a lot of carbs in it, but when it's spread out over three or four hours and I'm not consuming three or four or five of them. So when I do need something, I drink one of those. If I'm not drinking water, my biggest thing I'm still fighting is, uh, my crap coffee. Mm -hmm. When I do my reenactments and I do drink coffee, coffee, I drink my coffee black, but I have an addiction to, um, White mochas with an extra shot from Starbucks, which is like eighteen thousand calories. It's horrible. So I'm trying to get myself back on the strictly black coffee, but I haven't made it down that path. But back to you. Some of the things, the ailments. Obviously, the poor circulation probably got corrected semi quickly. But what about the other things? Was that stuff correctable, or is it kind of you you have it now, <laughs> uh, like the fatty well, liver disease and all that?
0: Believe it or not, um, so. A month after surgery I had my first follow up with my, my general practitioner. Um, I was taken off all of my medications within 30 days. That helps uh, the pocketbook. Diabetes medication, blood pressure medication, liver medication, all that stuff was, I was taken off all of it. Um, I was confirmed, uh, another three months later I had my first post op, uh, Doctor's visit with my surgical office. I was cleared of being in remission of type two diabetes, so I'm technically "quote unquote" cured of it. Fantastic. Um, so it'll always be there, sure. <laughs> uh, but my uh, my ability to the amount of you know carbs that I take in or can take in versus you know everything else makes it basically non-existent um, for me. Um, I was also then cleared of fatty liver disease. My liver enzymes are back in a normal range. Uh, everything was normal. That's first time my blood tests have been normal in six or seven years. How are you
1: feeling um, physically?
0: I feel, I feel amazing. I feel like I'm 20 years younger. I mean, I turn 40 next month. I, I feel like I'm in my mid-20s again. I really do. I mean, the amount of weight that is off my body, uh, like I said, about 170 pounds down. I I started the program at 410. Today I got on the scale. I was 237. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm almost as light as I've ever been as an adult. Uh, I, my my goal weight is 215. That was given to me by my surgeon. So I'm not too far off from my goal weight, and it has not even been a year since my surgery.
1: That's awesome. Um, I'm actually yeah, back. Thank up. you.
0: I appreciate that.
1: I'm back up to 2.15 as of this morning. Um, do you remember a particular defining moment when, uh, obviously, you know, you went through the surgery and, and you see the scale and all that, but do you remember the day you physically you physically went, oh, shit, I can feel a difference?
0: I do. It was actually, <clears throat> I started at the gym um, when I was medically cleared to go to the gym. I think that was the first week of May of uh, 19. And uh, that the end of that week, I'd already lost the, about 30 pounds or so. awesome. Uh, I uh, I was, you know, doing my weight. I was doing weight training. I was doing uh, bikes. I was biking two and a half miles. Uh, and I was doing, you know, biceps, curls, weight training, all that good stuff. And I was not in pain where was, when I when I was heavy and I tried to do a lot of stuff, I could maybe do it for ten minutes and I'd be sweating, out of breath, and excruciating pain. I was able to go through a full forty-five minute workout, nice. and I was not in pain. And that was only a little about a month and a week later when I was under the knife, and that was my first oh wow moment. Yeah, and then. And you know, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, I, I continued to go to the gym, um, until about September. I took a break from it. I'm uh, going back, uh, this month, uh, I was, I was, uh, some weird weight fluctuations with, uh, I was trying to get my weight down, but my weight was going back up because I was building muscle. Yeah. I was gonna say that's,
1: uh, that's the downside of yeah. going to the gym. And, and that's one of the things I got to remind myself. Um, one, don't let the psychological um, teardown of getting on a scale every day fuck you up. And the reason yeah. I say that it doesn't matter what your weight is or what your physical activity is. If you're somebody who runs a lot, um, you go out and you run seven miles, your body will maintain up to three to four pounds of body weight for uh, water weight for four days because it doesn't know when the next time you're going to tear the hell out of it. And then after four days, it'll drop mm-hmm. it. And so if you go out and run and you get on a scale next morning, you're like, I gained four pounds, son of a gun. Well, that's why, because your body, and so you have to take it with a grain of salt if if you step on a scale every single day, but um, yeah, so you're trying to lower your, get down to a lower number, but when you're packing on, when you're going to the gym four times a week, guess what? Muscle weighs more than fat, And, and you may know, you're a smart guy and you know that, but all your all your intelligence and all your database that shit flies out the window as soon as you step on that scale and you see that number going up, even though that number yeah. represents healthiness, muscle gain. In your mind, that that number is negative, and so it can it can have a negative effect, even though technically it's a positive thing.
0: Indeed, and that and and for somebody else that might be very uh, you know normal for them very. Uh, um I can't think of the word off the top of my head. Uh, you know, it's just it, it's good for them, for me, I had to I had to take a step back from it. Yeah. And I I I, I did I walked. I did not stop exercising. That's always for everybody listening. Just if you get frustrated, just switch it, switch it up. Switch your exercise up to something else. Mm-hmm. I switched to walking. So I would walk three to five miles a day. Uh, I just walk around my neighborhood. I have an Apple Watch. It can you know figures out how long I'm walking and and all that good stuff. So I was always moving. I never stopped moving. I just wanted to get my weight down. I was heavy for a very long time in my life. I was just ready to see that number go down sure. no matter what it took. So um, so I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm comfortable enough to where I can go back to the gym and put the muscle on and uh, help itself, uh, some of the loose skin I'm dealing with. Uh, that's going to be my next big uh, to-do is to get rid of some of this loose skin I have. Yeah, because that's um, the one but, thing
1: people ask when they see huge weight loss photos is they're like, what's going mm-hmm. on underneath that shirt? And uh, yeah. when I first moved down here, I worked at a tele- uh, not telemarketing. I worked tech support for De- Bell South DSL, believe it or not, That's how far back mm-hmm. I go. But one of the guys I worked with, he, um, he lost like 200 and something pounds. And this is right around the time Oprah made all the news giving away cars and shit. And so he was going to try to hit her up for some uh, surgery money. But, yeah, that was one of the things he was dealing with
0: is all the uh, skin. Yeah, um, I'm pretty fortunate. I've never had man boobs, <laughs> so my chest area is pretty good. Uh, my arms are fairly okay. I think I can, I can get my arms back, in with uh, with exercise, uh, my issue is my stomach because I carried sure. a lot of weight in my stomach, uh, and in my in my thighs. So, uh, when I do have surgery, I will have to have those areas taken care of. Um, pretty sure there's probably at least. Ten to fifteen pounds that the skin is going to come off my body. Yeah, um, but it's not too bad. Luckily, it's causing some pain and some agitation, which I'm documenting because if I do have that, it they'll cover it through my uh, insurance company, uh, so I won't have to pay that extraordinary amount of plastic surgery. That it's because it's technically plastic surgery at yeah. that point. But But uh, so, but I, it's not. It's the the amount of weight that I lost and the pain and the the medical conditions I left in the past. Are, are worth the what little pain and discomfort I'm dealing with this right now with this loose skin. Uh, it was a godsend, uh, to have the surgery for to, uh, take me out of my, my space where I was before with my weight. Uh, again, uh, it's a powerful tool and it's not for the, uh, it's not for everybody. It really is not, uh, for anybody, everybody listening. Just because you're of weight, uh, it's not a magic bullet. Um, it, you have to be in a certain, I think you should be in a certain thing where it's your, it's your last resort. This was my last resort. Had I not done this, I don't think I'd be around for, uh, in in two years. And the
1: reason Um, they put so much onto the psychological side is A, a lot of weight gain comes from eating disorders, which is related to psychological. Um, but two, um, and you and you're probably discovering this now with going to the gym and even walking. Mm-hmm. So much of physical fitness is mental, and you probably know this from yeah. your experience in studying with military and that. And that's why you know when these young cats go to boot camp, not only do they break them down and build them up as a unit, but they also are and training them to uh, function properly under high stress situations such as combat. But they're also building up their mental strength because you can push your body to do a whole hell of a lot more than you ever thought you're capable of if you're just in the right mind state. And so if yeah. you're if you're not in the right mind state, how are you going to have the strength not to eat? Because as somebody who had two family members go through it, and the reason I said it's a tool, and the reason Gary said it's a tool, and I'm sure he knows this, about a year or, f- year or so from now, he would be physically able to eat more food cause the stomach will start to stretch out, but he's got to have the mental strength and the dedication to prevent that from happening. Cause it is possible. And it has happened where you can gain the weight back, even post-surgery because you don't have the restraint and the, uh, fortitude to continue with once again, not the diet, but the lifestyle change.
0: Yeah. You have to change everything. I mean, like, like we both said, it's a tool, but if you don't change your state of mind, um, it's never gonna work it never will work uh, I've heard horror stories of people getting the surgery and trying to eat chipotle the same day um, I mean it, it's unbelievable that person uh, clearly was not in the right state of mind they' thought, again thought it was a magic bullet and they're trying to shove down a burrito down a gullet and um, it's You know, it's physically impossible.
1: And not to mention Uh, a poorly rolled burrito, because if anybody's ever been to Chipotle, I don't care what Chipotle it is, you know those fools cannot roll a burrito to save their lives. I've actually said down here on the air that Chipotle should send their people over to Moe's to learn how to roll a damn burrito. You're not wrong.
0: You're not wrong.
1: (laughs) I have been to four Chipotles, and I've never, ever gotten a burrito from them that I didn't have to consume with a fork off my lap. (laughs) And that is sad. And it's not due to my lack of knowledge of how to consume a burrito because I lived in California for three years and I know how to eat Mexican food. So uh, it's not, it's not, it's not a pep cack error or an end user issue. It's not a problem between the burrito and the chair, i.e., me. It's a poorly rolled burrito.
0: Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I stopped getting burritos from there even when I could still eat all that. Food. Yeah. Um, uh, just because they would never roll right? I was just throw in a damn bowl and let's be done with it. Yep. <laughs> That's what's going to end up anyway.
1: Yep. <laughs> Brito bowl. So what's yeah. your uh, you know it's it's interesting you're talking about how you 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 because of the numbers going up because your muscle mass gained, how you started walking because you wanted to continue to lose weight and switch it up. That's the whole theory behind P90X was to change up your routine because going to the gym is just like anything else. If you go to the gym say okay, I'm going to go do 10 bench presses first and then do or 30 bench presses first and 30 butterflies and 30 curls and you do the same repetition the same order every single time you go to the gym your body you will plateau and you will not get any different change because your body has evolved to um handle that that routine and so you have to switch it up um you know before i started becoming a running maniac the reason i got into running is because um at my peak i got to the point where i was going to gym twice a day I was waking up in the morning and going, and I was going after work, and I blew my elbow out. And I was like, "Shit, I can't lift. How am I going to maintain my weight loss?" And I and I was running on the treadmill for thirty minutes before I lift weight, but treadmills are just so damn boring. Oh, I know. You can only stare sure. at so many episodes of American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> much loved Morgan Moose. I love you, fellow, but I can only handle so much, you know, of that crap in the gym. It wasn't until I started running outside that it, it the whole thing changed for me. And I've often said I don't run for the feeling you get while you're running because that shit sucks. I, I run for the feeling you get when you're done. And right. uh, and so now I went from going to the gym five days a week to running four to five days a week and going to the gym twice. And so I've completely flip-flopped mine because I'm, I'm not so worried about the the muscle mass gain um, as the weight loss. But now that I'm getting ready to do my second Savage Race, now I, I'm forced to go work on my grip and my upper body so that I can actually complete all 20 obstacles instead of 26 like last year. But... So now I'm forcing myself to go to the gym. But what's your plan for the future? Your futuristic plans? You want to go out west and buy some desert land? I'm sorry, I went into a clutch song. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your what's your plans for your you know maintaining your fitness and your uh, gym and your exercise and all that? Is there any sort of things you know you considering biking Are you going to start hiking? Because Columbus has some beautiful nature trails, man.
0: They do. Um, I once the weather gets good, I want to go. I want to go some hiking again. Uh, I I love being out in the woods and being yeah, in nature. You know, I I couldn't do that for the longest time because of my weight. Now that I'm able to, I'm ready to get out there, get on some trails. Uh, I'm going to purchase a bike.
1: I was going to ask you um, uh, before my brother and I both left Columbus. I'm sure they still have them. I don't know. It's been freaking 20 years, but he and I would actually go up to Allen Creek and ride single track and the, oh, yeah. at the time, it. the local bike crew, they would go out there and literally change the track up every three or four months to prevent from erosion, and, you know, they had some great single track riding out there.
0: They, they still do. I know a lot of people that still do that up here, and I'm definitely excited to get into that, you know. Not, I've not been in the shape to be on a bike or, you know, to afford a bike that would hold my my big butt there for a long time, so I'm I'm going to be able to we buy a bike, get on those trails, and just enjoy nature, get out there. I mean, I'll still go to the gym, do some weight training. Uh, change. I do, like, the pyramid style uh, with reps and weight. So. Sure. Kind of keeps – shocks your body. It's a good tip from Arnold uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger. I listen to him. He's one of my heroes. So, yeah, the guy knows a thing or two about lifting weights. So, I uh, listen to his advice.
1: Uh, well, he's a but, key uh, role uh, in the Special Olympics. He has the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic every year in Columbus. Yeah, you know, I actually voted uh, for the guy. I lived in California when he ran for governor.
0: Oh, good for you! I wish I'd been able to do that. <laughs>
1: and, and during the whole thing, it was a clown show. And this was before the whole thing with his illegitimate son and the housekeeper. All that—none of that had come out yet. And uh, you know, and I'm living in California. He's like, "How are you going to vote for Schwarzenegger? I'm like, "Look, I grew up in Columbus. Uh, I've known—I've heard about the guy my entire life. Once again, this is before the housekeeper and the illegitimate kid. But I was like..." Never heard a guy in scandal. He's never in trouble. He's never gotten anything wrong. He's helps out the special Olympics. He's big in fitness and blah, blah, blah. He came from another country, blah, 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 blah. And so like compared to all the rest. He's, and he's not a politician. And so compared to all the rest of the assholes, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, to me, it was a no brainer.
0: Yep. I was super excited to see him run out there. And I, from what I heard, he did a lot of good. Um, and um, I, I, you know, i hell, if he was there to, able to run for president, I'd probably vote for him, in all honesty. Uh, uh got a lot of good ideas. The guy does, really gives back to community, especially here in Columbus. I mean, he owns, uh, half of a uh, big mall area, uh, called Easton up here. Uh, owns half of it with, uh, Lex Wexner, who owns the limited brand, mm-hmm. you know, Abercrombie and Fitch and all that. Um, so he puts a lot of money into the city, especially when the Arnold Classic comes up here uh huge sporting event. I mean, if anyone's ever near uh, Columbus area uh and coming up here soon. Amazing event. They have the strongman event there. See uh half door Bjorn send up a ton of weight. <laughs> uh the mountain from Game of Thrones, if you don't know who's Bill is, Sure. And uh this amazing uh sporting events up there. They're actually putting on a uh, pump and run 5K. I was going to get into it, but I just did not. I didn't get up training and for running to be able to participate. I'll that be honest be with
1: out. you, because um, I've done eight 5Ks. Um, mm-hmm. Just do them. The 5Ks yeah. are like the, you know, everybody can do it. You'll get on the 5K and you're going to think you're not ready, and then you're going to see the guy with the two dogs and the three baby strollers, and just go out and do it. It doesn't matter what your time is. Just go out and do it, especially if it's like an elite event or something where you get the finisher medal for crossing that line. Do it yeah. just to set a bar. Do it. Even if sure. you're finishing 40 minutes, 45 minutes, you say, okay, well, the next one I'll finish in 40 minutes. And the one after that, I'll do 30. It's Especially if you if you plan on doing any extracurricular running. Um, the 5K, mm-hmm. I've done 110K. Um, the, the, the best part about the 5K, yeah, the medal's cool and all that shit, but... It's, it almost legit, it gives a legitimacy or a closure, if you will, or I don't know the, the phrase I'm looking for, but it justifies all your efforts when you go out and run around your neighborhood. It's like, it's almost like, you know, playing little league baseball on the weekends and the five K is like your chance to go to participate in the uh, home run derby or something. Yeah. And the other best thing about it is, is you're only racing against yourself Yes, there's these Good. there's these cats who know they're going to come in fourth or fifth place or first place, and you're never going to catch those, especially at fucking 40. <laughs> the best thing about long-distance running, look, I'm 41 years old. I know I'm my speed has a governor on it. I'm not going to get any faster to past a certain point, but at this age, I still can build my tolerance, and I can run further. And so at a certain point, I will not be able to run any faster. My times will get slower, but I can... I can run further, and I'm only running against myself. It's all about your PR, your own personal record. And so when you go out there, you don't worry about how you know everybody else's time. You just worry about yours, and you do your first one, have a good time, enjoy it, and set that time, and then it gives you something to shoot for next time. And it just it gives you, It's like I said, it's kind of like your own little home run derby to your fitness and your own personal uh, betterment.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to do one. I unfortunately missed the registration for this one, but uh, plus it was a hundred dollars, and I was like, for a five uh, k, expensive. And, yeah, for a five k, <laughs> that's insane.
1: No, five uh, k's, half marathons and marathons are in savage races and all that shit. They're like eighty, ninety, hundred bucks. But usually the going rate, especially for like an elite event, um, the going price for a five k is between thirty five and forty bucks. So the fact yeah, that they're wanting a the hundred's insane.
0: Yeah, 100 bucks. is a pump and run. So you do like you go do a um, your max bench, oh, and okay. then you do the 5K. Yeah, uh, which is fine. I could uh, my max is okay. I'm not worried about that. But uh, it was just the the money, and I was in the place where I was like, ah, I'm not quite sure. So I'll hit the next one. We have a ton of them here in local Columbus. So I'm definitely looking forward to doing one. And uh, appreciate the uh, advice there. And just thinking about it as as an achievement, not as uh, as, a, as a competition. So. I um, I definitely want to do that as a kind of a feather in my cap for my weight loss, and uh, just see if I can do it because obviously <laughs> I've uh, never been been the runner. I mean, especially in the last twenty some years since I graduated, but uh, you know, up until when I was training for the Navy, that's a, the last bit of running I've, I've done in my life. So uh, it'd definitely be a good test.
1: Same way with me. You know, as you know, I grew up skateboarding, but I never ran. I know I had a teacher mm-hmm. who suggested i run track strictly based on my height but never got into running if you would have told me 20 years ago i'd be out running seven eight miles i'd tell you're insane it's running stupid but you know once again um wanting to maintain my weight loss and and i often joke but behind every good joke there's some truth behind it i also run because i want to know that i can and that at my growing older age i'm not quite a a wuss yet and i know that's a little bit of a harsh term but for us old fucks you know um calling ourselves pussies you know that's not frowned upon so much so i still want to know that i'm not you know that big of a push yet and so i i force myself to do it because i want to know that i can and i want to see what i still physically have in me as i'm getting older
0: 100 percent, i'm right there with you and i totally agree with every word you just said so that's uh, that's uh that's another reason why i want to do the 5k because i'm getting up there i mean obviously my weight loss and the the age thing so it's kind of like yeah but what you, can I do <laughs> you
1: you just bought
0: years back yeah With, I did. like I you really
1: said did. You're, you're you may be 40 but compared to where you were living at 32 or even 20 you're probably healthier now at for at 39 than you were at 18
0: uh yeah I mean I'd like to think so I definitely feel that and uh it, that's one of the biggest things I'll, I'm going to kind of elaborate to anyone listening is that the feeling is amazing okay uh, the the fact that I've dropped a, a, a medium sized man uh, or a you know a slightly larger woman uh, depending on your height obviously off of my back is unbelievable. Like just the fact like I don't feel like gravity is pulling me down. I don't feel miserable anymore. If for the only reason to lose weight is for you to just feel great. And to live You're, everyone has loved ones out there. You have friends. They all want to see you live as long as possible. Uh, don't, you know, don't worry about the people making fun or giving you looks or whatnot. They, they don't know you, but lose for the fact that you want to be around for your loved ones and your friends.
1: And I'll let you and on another just, secret. As somebody who's been going to the gym off and on for 12 years, everybody at the gym, I don't care how skinny they are, how buff they are, how big they are, how small they are. Everybody at the gym is worried that everybody else is staring at them. So when you're at the gym, don't worry about people staring at you because they're too worried that you're staring at them. Everybody in that motherfucker has, uh, you know, self-esteem issues. And they're, you know, even the ones who are walking around, their chest all cocked out like they're roostering. In their mind, they're still worried about everybody's in there staring at them. So just go in there knowing that you're all on the same playing field and by the way, as Morgan Moose from American Ninja Warrior said on this episode, on this podcast, and I've said too, the people who work out on a regular basis, when they see someone who's fresh, new to the gym, someone who has visual um, weight issues, they're not making fun of you. They're, they're, in their mind, they won't say it to you verbally because they don't want you to think that they're. Um, being rude but in their mind they're saying fucking go get it girl or go get it dude when i see someone who visually has um weight issues running down the road i'm not laughing i'm saying i'm in my head i'm 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 your biggest fucking cheering fan i'm jumping them down with thumbs and giving them the big thumbs up like go out and do it i don't care what shape you're in or where you're at in life as long as you put forth the effort it's so easy to talk shit when you're sitting on the curb It don't matter if you're talking football, basketball, health, whatever. If you're the person sitting on the curb, not doing anything, it's so easy to run your mouth. But once you're out there doing it, other people who are out there doing it and knowing what the suckiness of whatever it may be, they're not going to be talking shit about you because they know the effort it takes to, to start doing it. And so believe it or not, um, the people at the gym, the people seeing you run down the sidewalk, the ones who do it, they're cheering you on. It's the people who don't do it or here's a question I, I kind of had for you. Um, sure. How has all this changed your outlook on certain things? Because one of the things I noticed um, when I started going to the gym, I would post check-ins on my Facebook. I wouldn't put any comments, any, you know, self-betterment stuff. Usually it's ugh or this sucks. But the reason I started doing that is I wanted to be able to go through my Facebook timeline, see how many times I went to the gym last month without writing. You know, I'm logging it digitally. Why go back and write it down somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And after about a year or so, I start getting messages in my Facebook inbox saying, Hey, just by seeing your check-ins at the gym and seeing your photos, you've motivated me to to help me run or to get me to go back to riding my bike or this and that. And you know, clearly you're my age on if you can do it, I can do it. And I started to realize holy shit, just me checking in the gym's starting to motivate other people. And then I also realized that we as humans, we like to call people on their nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you start posting comment, uh, just check-ins, even photos, you may not realize it, but you're holding the mirror up to certain people. And it's those people who make the rude comments, usually are the people who aren't happy with their position in life or whatever they're doing. And that's why they come back with rude comments. But because I know we as humans love to knock people down, that's part of the reason why I post stuff on Facebook, because I know as soon as I stop... Or as soon as I start posting pictures where I'm gaining weight back, those people are going to call me on my bullshit, and that helps keep me motivated to go to the gym because I don't want to give them the self-satisfaction.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> my brother was one of them. He sent me a message like, "So you're one of these douchebags posting gym photos?" I'm like, "Yep." I'm that guy. <laughs> and then when I'd go to the when I worked in radio, and uh, some of the salespeople who followed me on Facebook, they'd see me in the uh, break room looking in the vending machine, looking at that honey bun, and I wanted to buy they not snarkly say, Hey, that's another uh, two hours at the gym. And I think, you know what? They're right. And I turn around and walk out. And so it's their snarkiness that help keep me in
0: line. Yeah. It, you got to take that stuff uh, positively. I know it's difficult for some people. It's difficult for me um, just because mental illness and stuff like that. Anxiety disorder. But if you're able to take that and turn into a positive, do it. I mean, it's, it's there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, take those take those bad comments, those snarky comments, and turn them into a positive. Yep. I mean, that's the be- that's great advice.
1: Once that's I got really the once I got like the second second private message saying, "Hey, thanks." I actually have one of my veterinarians because I manage twelve veterinary clinics. They told me, "Hey, you're the reason I went back and lost thirty pounds." I saw your check-ins. I saw that you. I hadn't seen you in six months. I came back and you're thirty pounds lighter, and you said, "Oh, I just started doing this." And it just motivated them to do it. And so all the snarkiness, all the people who think you're a D bag or whatever, that's all erased just by two people saying, Hey, thank you. And it's, I don't know, to me, it's it's worth it.
0: You're right. It it should be. It should be. I I just never, I just never done that for some reason. And I, and I should because um, I'll check him at a restaurant, but I won't check him again. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, I should, because I because you know that it,
1: because you know that it annoys people and people think you're a douchebag for doing it because now why would someone think someone's a douchebag? Cause they're out doing something healthy and something to better their life. Because no. it, any comedian will tell you, uh, you're up on stage doing a, doing your set. And somebody in the, in the audience will laugh at all your jokes until you say the one joke that strikes a little close to home. And now you're not fucking funny. And it's yeah. kind of the same way. No matter, you can post all the political stuff you want, laugh, laugh, laugh. But when you start posting something that strikes a little close to home, whether it's, you know, hey, I, it has nothing to do with them. Hey, I'm out at the gym. You know, or here's a picture of me, whatever. They're all that. The people who are making the snarky comments are the ones that's they're a little annoyed by it because it, it, it kind of turns the mirror on them. But, you know. And I use that to my advantage too. Obviously, with your knowledge of military stuff, you're familiar with the clothing brand Grunt Style, right? Yeah. They have their Grunt Club, and they they put out a shirt that said, Reps, not text. As in, when you're at the gym, you should be doing reps, not on your phone texting. I bought one, and I wear it. Now, I don't wear it because I'm an asshole making comments about people texting at the gym. I wear it to keep myself honest because now – I don't want someone taking a picture of me being the asshole wearing a shirt saying reps not text shirt at the gym texting on my phone. So, by me wearing that shirt, I won't even pull my phone out to change the channel on Pandora when I'm listening to a song because <laughs> I don't want someone having the satisfaction. Look at this dick. He's got a shirt on that says reps not texting. He's texting. Nah. So, just by me wearing that shirt, it forces me to work out harder and longer because I will not pull my phone out of my pocket while I'm inside of that gym with that shirt on.
0: And it's right. just keeping yourself honest. It's just keep little things
1: honest. like that to keep you going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like ironing, right. so I just find I find stupid things. It's a little different for everybody, but I just find little stupid things like that that just keep me going.
0: Because you gotta yeah, have fun whatever, with it. Whatever you need to do, keep yourself motivated. Whatever anyone needs to do, whatever motivates you, just harness that in a, in a positive way, whether it be for weight loss or, you know. Anything really? I mean, this obviously conversation has been mostly about weight loss, but uh, whatever whatever you need to motivate yourself, find it. I mean, that's the best advice uh, anyone can give you. Just motivate yourself, whatever way that you can. So. Well, and,
1: and the and I kind of had a realization the last two or three days as I'm getting turned forty two here soon, and having a daughter who's twenty two, and then um, having a daughter who's twelve. The best thing that comes with age and you definitely see it when you see like people in their seventies and eighties who are dressing what you would consider weird. The best thing to come along with age is truly not giving a shit about what other people think about you. And if somehow we can transplant that into teenagers, their lives would be so much easier.
0: Oh yeah. I'm still working on that, uh, not giving a shit, uh uh gene in my body. I again, uh it's uh it's just it's, it's different for everybody it really is like what age do you start you stop caring about what other people think because and and i and i know that it doesn't matter what they think it really doesn't you know i i'm a, i'm a, i'm aware of that it's just wherever you become comfortable enough with understanding that and is putting it into action but yeah i think uh if younger people would just get that i think there would be a lot less uh bullying and a lot less, uh, issues all around, you know, with, uh, with the young, with the, with the young people, you know. get off my lawn. So any final
1: words for anybody who's, uh, listening to this, looking for some motivation, whether it's, uh, you kind of a little bit touched on it, but, uh, whether it's through weight loss or trying to maybe do a career change or accomplish that goal that they've in back their mind, they want to do, but they're not sure they want to get out of their comfort zone to do it. Um, any last parting words?
0: Well, I'd say I I want to just stick to the weight loss because that's the one thing I I know a little bit about. Uh, Mostly I don't want to give any poor motivational advice. Um, But as far as weight loss is concerned, if you're in a spot where you are feeling bad, uh, you're in pain, uh, you might be on a slippery slope to getting worse and your loved ones love you, um always know that they love you and they care about you and they want you to be healthy they want you to be around they don't want you going anywhere cling on to that idea and and lose weight i mean that's the best thing i can tell you uh they care about you and they want you around so do whatever you have to do whatever motivates you to get that to that point to lose weight is what you need to do whether it's surgery Whether it's just hitting the gym a few more extra times a week or dropping your calories by half. Um, You know, people love you. Do what you got to do.
1: And the only thing I could really add to that is um, once you've gone there yourself, do you realize that uh, people, just everyday Joe Schmo, people are capable of so much more than they think they are. Whether it's physically, mentally, what have you, and so you, you kind of see, you know, you hear people make comments or you know about other people, and you think that guy's kind of a dick. And if you sit back and look, like, well, he's not being a dick so much. He just real he he's done it himself, and he knows that it's possible. Yes, it sucks and it's hard, but maybe he's being a dick to that other person because that he realizes that person has potential and that person could do the same thing or do accomplish their goals if they just put more, a little more effort into it, maybe that person's being a dick because he wants the other person to realize that they're capable of doing so much more than they give themselves credit for. And um, I think, you know, trying to get people to realize that is uh, a key for them finding success in whatever
0: they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people are just trying to push you in the right direction. They're not pushing you to knock you down. They're pushing you to get you on the right track. Yep,
1: and that's the other. Um, we I've mentioned this on this podcast before. the The interesting dynamic about doing an organized race, you can go out and run around your neighborhood all you want, and that's that's fantastic. Um, but there's two things that you cannot replicate in your neighborhood by yourself, or even if you're running with your friends and family, and that is one, adrenaline, and two, the, the natural order of the pack instinct. It's amazing. Gary, I tell you what, you could start running three nights a week around your neighborhood until you do your first 5K, and your time will be at a certain place, but once you run that 5K, and just being around 100 other people, uh, you feel like you're a trout man, or you feel like you're a horse running out, you you will instinctively um, find your position in that pack. You'll know, okay, I can run faster than this person, or no way in hell I can run faster than that person, or I should be able to keep up with this person. And you will find, your, it's weird, you kind of find your natural order in that group of people. And its uh, you will cut your time down. I don't care if you just ran your best time ever two days before running around your neighborhood with five friends. When you go out and do that first 5K, I guarantee you, you will trim at least 30 seconds to probably 45 seconds off your time than what you normally run. Just do adrenaline and pack instinct. It's its amazing. It blows oh, my mind bet. every time I, mean, I
0: run it. Well, it's not a competition. It's, it's its a mental competition. You're like, yeah. You find yourself in that pack and it's, it's invigorating. I can imagine yep. it, it makes all the sense in the world. It makes all the sense in the world.
1: His name's Gary bone. He has found success in more than one direction. He's, uh, you know, found despite upbringing and childhood and, uh, certain things dealt to him in the hand. He's found success in career and in, uh, he's finding success in health and hopefully over the last hour and, uh, 20 minutes or so you guys have found something to help motivate you guys. And Gary, thank you so much for sharing your story. And for those of you guys who download this podcast uh, via the apps, thank you so much. Um, But head over to fail to fail.com and you can uh, see a very awesome photo that Gary posted a few days ago that made me reach out to him because it just puts it into perspective uh, far better than any other before or after photo could. So go check that out. And um, you guys will be amazed at the uh, transformation that Gary underwent. Gary, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck with everything and if you uh, need any uh, help or anything uh, give me a call and uh, we'll help each other out.
0: Sounds good, Don. I appreciate
1: it. Not a problem, man. Good luck with everything and congratulations.
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>